It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And it's a milestone episode. This is episode number 200. So mm-hmm. congratulations to us. Uh, it was a mere 100 episodes ago that I asked you, John, to set a line on whether we'd make it to 200. And you said we were a little better than even money. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope everyone out there bet the yes. Okay. Uh, for what it's worth, as you may recall, you added that you thought we were 50 to one long shots to make it to episode 500. <laughs> uh, has that price shortened at all now that we're a mere 300 episodes, you know, roughly six years or so away? I mean, first off, I briefly considered having you announce as a special guest, Kathleen Turner, who knew she was such a gambling industry <laughs> aficionado, uh, given my voice. Then I realized anybody under like 40 or 45 has to Google the name, although not as many as if I got with Lauren McCall, unless the movie right. Casablanca has had a revival among the younger crowd, which I'm not sure that it has. But uh, back to your points, uh, six years away from 500. Now, the long shot play here is that even if I had semi-retired by then, this show might be one weekly constant to help me break free of those hundreds of CSI repeats that I've been saving for all these years. <laughs> but you can't place a wager, because I'm pretty sure you'd play a role of whether I have any shot to continue at that point. <laughs> true, true. Conflict of interest, certainly. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I have to abstain. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I would say we are an underdog to, to make episode 500, especially with the way your voice is sounding today, uh, you know, but uh, but at 50 to one, if there's someone still giving me that price, I'd definitely bet it. And uh, I'd probably even bet 10 to one. I'm not sure I'd go shorter than that, though. But uh, but yeah, you hit on it, John. The fact is you're kind of addicted to doing this podcast. Even even when you take a week off from work, you still make sure to do the pod. Even when you're uh, battling this uh, this this illness that's uh, got you in the throat a little bit there today, uh, you, you do the pod. So um, yeah, I, I'm right with you that uh, even if you are retired six years from now, I wouldn't put it past you to retire from everything but the podcast. Um, that is a possibility. I got to admit, you read me well. <laughs> so in any case, 200 episodes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a, a great excuse to talk to some fascinating people in this industry. And above all, it's been a great outlet for losing fake money and learning definitively that we shouldn't risk much real money on our sports (laughs) bets. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners out there for joining us for this historic 200th episode of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 199 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. We're not accepting any gifts as part of this anniversary celebration, but we will accept donations made in our names to the Human Fund. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by, uh, in this milestone episode, we're going to welcome not one but two guests, Dan Bach and Adam Small. And it'll be the rare in-person interview as they're here at the uh, SB North America Summit in New Jersey. We'll get their thoughts on the state of the industry, how soon legal betting will come to California, Texas, and Florida, and what the memorable sweats they've had as betters in recent years. But first, it's been a way too busy week, clearly, in the world of gambling <laughs> with my NLC GS Nickel Gs. Yeah. Gaming industry event in Boston followed almost immediately by this one. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Gambling. 
We're not the only ones celebrating our 200th episode milestone. The entire gaming industry has apparently decided to celebrate it, scheduling back-to-back major East Coast conferences overlapping with our 200th episode. Uh, John, you just uh, referenced uh, having to run from one of these to the the next of these. Uh, It is no surprise to anyone that John has attended both conferences. And also, no surprise, I have pretty much skipped both conferences, other than a brief appearance to do the podcast interview in person and to eat a nice dinner on the company dime. Uh, but John, late last week and over the weekend, you were in Boston for the Nickel G's summer meeting. That's NCLGS, standing for National Council of Legislators from Gaming States. And this week, you've been in North Jersey for the SBC Summit North America. You've been observing panels, writing, reporting, networking, et cetera. So I'll just kick it over to you. Give me some highlights from either conference. How similar or different are the two events? And am I correct that they're usually spaced out more and this back-to-back scheduling is something new? Yeah, well, Nickel G's is, uh, as noted, specifically devoted to lawmakers from states all over the country. You know, kind of a mix of those who've had uh, legal gambling in many forms for many years and others who are have just started and others who haven't even done it yet. So, you know, that's the key. I mean, it's got maybe one tenth of the attendance of uh, uh, SBC, which is yeah. a massive, massive event. I think it's probably second in the country to the G2E event in Las Vegas in October, which draws countless people. Mm-hmm. And the one thing it has in common with that event is that um, the European presence at SBC uh, as well as uh, G2E is enormous, you know, partly because Europeans love New York and they love Las Vegas. So they're going to go there. <laughs> so as far as these two events going back to back, I think that because of the fact that um, Nickel Trees was in Boston in July and SBC was in Clyde then anyway, I know a lot of industry folks who left Boston Sunday night or Monday morning and got going on the SBC panels in Manhattan on Tuesday. So I think attendance was probably better for both events with this schedule, whereas normally they couldn't hopscotch back and forth, you know, to New York uh, or to Boston for a weekend and then gone for two weeks and then back to Manhattan. So I think that that probably, it's no coincidence they got close together. But uh, as far as the panels, I covered a panel on Friday where an attorney who's an expert on tribal law insisted the Seminole tribe would eventually prevail uh, in Florida and they'll be able to offer mobile sports betting in spite of the clear prohibition on the, the language of the IGRA. But I, I can't say I was completely sold, but I'm not a lawyer and I like being able to also post the other side of a legal argument. Uh, also on Friday, an I-Lottery panel tried to explain why it has some, become sort of the forgotten child among lawmakers. Um, special props to about to retire, Missouri Lottery Director May Sheev Reardon, who blamed term limits of only eight years in both chambers of the state house in her state for making progress on, well, lots of issues very difficult. And her explanation, her, her bottom line there was the real housewives of New Jersey have a more consistent cast than we do. <laughs> That's the beauty right there. Um, also, I had a committee on diversity and inclusion that managed to make free, break free of the usual cliches with panelists describing personal experiences that were pretty eye-opening. I mean, you take golf lessons for a month and you know you're the only woman in the outing. And then the boss comes by your office and gives one of those creepy, um, yeah, we're overbooked, so we're going to have to ask you to hang back on this one. Mm. Holy crap. Uh, the excellent advice from multiple panelists there was that once you recognize a work environment anywhere that's from clueless to hostile like that, it's time to run. Plenty of other jobs out there. That opened my eyes. I finally from Nickel G's, I'm going to pretend that my analysis of Sunday's panel on the current residents in the industry of the Wire Act of 1961 went viral. And now I will not look up our <laughs> metrics that likely <laughs> tell me otherwise. And uh, last one at SBC North America, I missed the Tuesday sessions in Manhattan, thankfully. So I let off with a story from Monday morning about a 30-minute one-on-one with, I think, two-time Gamble On guest and ESPN gambling writer David Purdom and furniture showman in more ways than one, uh, Jim Mattress Mac McInvale. Then after the interview, I was able to get a few more details from Mac on, well, what I like to call his origin story. Yeah, I I read that piece on Mac. It was uh, interesting, and uh, I was just excited for the fact that our colleague, Brett Smiley, and his mortal enemy, Mattress Mac, were in the same building for, for a moment there. As far as I know, they didn't come to blows over Brett insisting that Mac is not a sports better. Um, but you brought up the, the Wire Act piece, and I, I found that one pretty interesting uh, about the current conversations surrounding the Wire Act. I mean, 
above all, it is just fascinating to me that this legislation from 1961, about 35 years before the internet became a meaningful part of our lives in any way, is still being applied at all to activities it clearly wasn't meant to cover. Yeah, maybe not as crazy as a gun law drafted during the musket era being applied to current guns, but still pretty crazy. Um, but seriously, I, I would think it's okay to write a new law to match the times rather than just pointing to precedent from before the Beatles had come to America. Um, but uh, I will neither confirm nor deny how viral your article went. But I, I will say that I found it interesting. There were some interesting takes on the Wire Act, including whether the 2018 DOJ interpretation might come back to life at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, the bottom line, as one panelist said, is no one knows what the hell it means. It's true. Now, mostly people are just going along with the idea that no one's going to intervene. We can do whatever we want. We have the multi-state poker compacts and such. Uh, and only Pennsylvania, I think, so far has sort of seemingly feared the Wire Act and they don't want to get in trouble. Everybody else is pretty much ignoring it, although the advice that these lawyers give, obviously, is, you know, keep in mind it's possible there's an issue here. You know, it might, right. might be, but maybe not. So we don't know what the hell it means. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, let's move along to our second story. And we head across the country to California. Uh, as we've discussed, there are multiple measures headed for the November ballot, one backed by several tribes that would legalize retail betting only, and one backed by several of the biggest mobile operators that would legalize statewide online sports betting. And we had two pieces of news this week, both reported in detail by our colleague Jill Dorson on Sports Handle. First, last Thursday, the lobbyist group Californians for Tribal Sovereignty and Safe Gaming held an online press conference opposing the commercial mobile gaming initiative, Proposition 27. There is a second tribal-backed group called Stop the Corporate Online Gambling Prop that is also opposed to Prop 27, but the two tribal groups aren't working together. It's an unusual situation in that both groups are trying to prevent the big mobile sports books from coming to California, but they're not on the same page in their approach and the arguments they're making. Meanwhile, they're not the only ones in California opposed to Prop 27. On Sunday, the California Democratic Party voted to oppose Prop 27 while voting to be neutral on Prop 26, the tribal gaming measure. The party supported six other measures on the ballot not related to gambling. These two are the only two it isn't supporting. There was no statement from the Democrats on their reasoning, although tribal leaders did chime in in support of the stance and suggested that by opposing the measure, the party is supporting the tribes. Uh, the Democrats are, of course, the predominant party in California. So, John, how significant would you guess their stamp of disapproval is with regard to Prop 27's chances of passing and any other thoughts on all of this anti-Prop 27 maneuvering? I mean, first, the, the premise that you know, mobile sports betting would be this scourge, uh, even though about half the states have already approved it. And it's been around for four years in a number of states um, and three and two and one. Um, and we haven't had any particular issues I can think of. It's really intriguing. It's a little bit disingenuous to the voters. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. plenty of casual uh, sports fans or what have you, busy people. They don't even know how many states have mobile sports betting. So this premise is almost like, why do we want to be the guinea pigs? Let somebody else do it first. Well, like about 25 of it did. So um, as far as the political stuff, yeah, yeah, California hasn't voted for anyone but a Democrat in the presidential elections since the 1980s, which was Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, and George H.W. Bush, which in 1988 effectively was a third Reagan term. So the Democratic candidate also has gotten more than 60%, in fact, in the last four presidential elections. So... To me, it's not so much that the majority of Californians would go to the polls having heard the state party's opinions on two measures, which they will have not, but more so that most voters who are aware of it likely will be loyal to their party if that's their party. Combine that with the fall mode for a voter who's completely flummoxed by seeing two ballot questions on the same overall topic and know and skip it, maybe particularly popular results. And finally, the younger the voter, the more likely they are to seek legalization of all forms of legal gambling and actually legalization of pretty much damn everything. Um, but it's too bad for the big boys there that those are the same voters who don't bother to vote in midterms. Yeah. Um, so I am this podcast's uh, outspoken liberal, uh, or at the very least, I am this podcast's outspoken anti-modern day conservative. Um, so I, I got to step up and take my lick in here. Uh, it's the party I support that is opposing an activity I absolutely think they shouldn't oppose. I would be curious to hear their reasoning. Um, you mentioned the sort of mobile sports betting scourge angle, and I did read a quote about 
how it puts a casino in every pocket. It's a threat to children, et cetera. All that stuff that we know ignores the reality that this gambling is already available. Um, but it turns out on closer inspection that that quote wasn't from the California Democrats. It was from a representative of one of the tribes in reaction to the Democrats taking this position. Nevertheless, the the scourge idea certainly seems to underline all of this. Uh, I certainly disagree with the Democratic Party's position on this unless they think better legislation is coming, but probably that's not what this is about. Probably this is about them being steered toward a position by the tribal lobby. Uh, I read an article from Matt Rybaltowski this week that clarified the tribes feel the two measures are in conflict. And if they both pass with more than 50% of the votes, there could be a legal battle that sees only one of the two take effect. So, so it's no mystery why the folks behind Prop 26 oppose Prop 27 so strongly. Um, I guess one thing I'll be interested to see is whether the California Republicans go opposite to the Democrats on this issue. Um, if they both oppose the measure, you figure enough voters looking to their party's position before voting would, would lead to Prop 27 having pretty much no chance. But if the Republicans support it, and then you have enough Democrats who are kind of ignoring their party's guidance and uh do go ahead and vote to bring mobile betting to the state, then I would think maybe it can still pass if, if the parties are split on it. But um, this is something we'll also talk about a bit more during the interview segment with, with Adam and Dan. Um, but yeah, si- signs are not pointing in an overly positive direction right now for Prop 27. Yeah, you know, ironically, the whole scourge angle would work better for like a casino, sort of. Uh, right. Because only about a half dozen states have legalized it, right? So um, the awareness of that being legal anywhere in the United States is very low. And I can't think of any, any anywhere out west that has it at all. Right. So that works in their favor. The fact that New Jersey and Delaware have had it for nine years, hello, <laughs> and they haven't had any problems, that probably undermines their argument a little bit. But that's a little bit of a better, uh, you know, if you're going to bullshit somebody, at least uh, do it uh, where the it's it's harder to notice that you're doing it. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. It is it is pretty difficult with at least half the states having legalized sports betting to, to still be presenting the argument that it's uh, that, it, that it's a horror show and it's going to cause massive problems and all that. Whereas online casino, they could probably get away with that more easily. But like I said, I, I think this is uh, probably mostly just uh, something where the, the, the tribal lobby uh, got in their ear and uh, is, is holding sway on this one. Um, so for our third news item this week, we're doing something different. Uh, we're going to go rapid fire on three separate items. Uh, it'll be a little like uh, PTI. We'll pretend there's like a 60 second clock per topic and we'll try and get in and out and move along to the next one. So first up, last Thursday, very quietly, without fanfare, the ninth and final, for now at least, mobile operator in New York launched. Ballybet is now live in the state. John, how huge of a disadvantage is BallyBet at launching six months after most of the others? Well, you know, Bally's is pretty well funded and they're innovative too. So I'm going to give them two years instead of one. I mean, New York gamblers already have voted for who they want on their smartphones for sports betting. And many of them have no interest in downloading yet another app. I can't imagine the promotion they could put out that's going to, you know, move the needle for the average casual gambler, which is most. And the big players have already made their choices. Many of them in New York, of course, still bet New Jersey because they get better uh, numbers. But uh, I don't I don't think they there's any way they can make it in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of uh, had the same thought uh, as to what they might offer in terms of a promotion and, and whether they would really scale back. I, I looked it up and they do have a solid welcome offer, pretty standard $100 free bet, as well as a quote unquote risk-free bet up to $550. So, so pretty standard stuff that will get the deal hunters who have all eight other apps to sign up for, for a ninth. But uh, yeah, it would seem to me Bally bet is the favorite to rank ninth out of nine for, for a while to come. Yeah. And I think that point I made kind of in passing, but it, it, I learned this three or four years ago that, you know, now, It'll shock no one that I only have a handful of apps on my phone, but uh, <laughs> most people under 40 have way too many. Now, they could spend an hour knocking out, you know, half their apps because they really don't want them. And then it might be more manageable. But that's, that's not what people do. They just say, oh, God, I have too many apps. And so <laughs> the 
the threshold to getting added as another app is incredibly high for those people. Just being another sports betting app is not going to do it uh, because they already have too many apps as it is. So um, I think that was a, you know, unintended consequence of just the way people handle apps and the way they use their smartphones and all that. But uh, sports betting companies figured out real, real quickly four years ago that we got to get it. That's why they did so much advertising. We got to get in there now because a lot of these people, they sign up for us now. They'll have that app in their phone for 10 years. I mean, and if we're not the first three, we'll never get in that phone. Right. All right. Uh, next up, I'm mostly just including this item so I can pat myself on the back, although it's also newsworthy, I suppose. The World Series of Poker main event is, as we record this, whittling down to its final nine players. They're a couple of eliminations away early Thursday morning after playing through the night, and the final table will play out on Friday and Saturday. One thing we know is there will be no big names at the final table, so you don't get your wish on that, John. Uh, mm. There won't be a woman. There won't be a former champ. None of that. But on the plus side, I do get to con congratulate myself for two correct predictions. Uh, first, the record didn't quite fall. Uh, the final entry count was 8,663, the second largest field ever, 110 players shy of the record. And six-time bracelet winner Lane Flack was selected as a posthumous inductee to the Poker Hall of Fame. John, thoughts on any of this? Well, Eric, this is your wheelhouse, so you can't be losing to this amateur on total WSRP <laughs> entry. So to use terms from one of, another of your favorite sports, tennis, I would say you held serve there. Okay. Uh, but I'll also credit you with an ace in the lane flack pick. So how's that? All right, I'll take it. Yep. Um, and I'll just add that even though the record didn't quite fall, it is quite obvious that the popularity of poker is in a good place. And uh, I would say the record is a pretty big favorite to get broken next year. Uh, you know, the, the number of players skipping the WSOP due to COVID presumably keeps getting a little bit lower each year. Um, so that'll help. And then the number of players winning their seats online in the U S should grow incrementally next year. As we start seeing more interstate pooling, obviously the economy remains a wild card in all of this, but I'd say over 8773 next year is about a minus 300, maybe even minus 400 kind of favorite. Okay. Uh, all right. Our final mini story is as wacky as they come. Uh, this made its way into the mainstream conversation this week. In fact, uh, in rural Western India, several men created a fake version of the Indian Premier League and filmed fake cricket games with fake crowd noise, <laughs> tight camera angles so you couldn't tell there was no crowd, etc., and rigged the results to go opposite of how gamblers in Russia were betting on the games. Uh, the matches were streamed on YouTube and reportedly the house was up about $4,000 before the whole thing got shut down. Needless to say, no regulated sports books in the U.S. were offering markets. Uh, John, brilliant, devious, hilarious, all of the above? Well, the conspiracy theory de jour would be that a legitimate operator pulled this off to get the ball rolling on wooing reluctant U.S. lawmakers in non-legal sports betting states. Uh, yeah, I don't believe that. No. Uh, interesting. So they were taking money from Russians. That's not an unpopular result. Uh, right. That's so uh, now they only made 4,000, which makes some sense. I mean, much as we may have disdain and we do for longtime illegal offshore sports books that I won't name, at least they are well established. You know, and people know the names. How anyone can go online and completely trust Indian merely cricket Google search, and off we go to some random <laughs> site, is a mystery. And that's sort of a fool and his money is soon parted. But even more mysterious is how the hell did they get a preferred listing under search engine optimization terms of play? Maybe <laughs> these guys are geniuses who could be using their powers for good instead of evil. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. The the scheme maybe could have been better applied to to something more useful. Um, I'm certainly not surprised that. It worked um, like I'm just thinking about how people in in the U.S. were betting and still are on Russian table tennis, which I don't know what makes anyone trust the legitimacy of some Russian table tennis match they're watching yeah. online. Um, people also bet on High Lie, which I went to see High Lie once when I was in Florida, uh, probably 25 years ago. And the whole thing struck me as looking like it was totally rigged, that these guys could catch the ball every time if they wanted to. And every time someone missed, it looked to me like they were instructed to do so. Now, just an amateur opinion there. But the point is, people will bet on sports without asking too many questions. Uh, this was at least a relatively small amount of money involved. So I would say it lets the story fall under funny oddity rather than major scandal. And that's good. You can never have too many funny oddities to cover. 
Yeah, I used to be a semi-regular at the two frontons in uh, Connecticut back in the day. And uh, it was always amusing to me because there is that vibe of, you know, it's a fix. And one of the reasons is that when a, a point is going to be very difficult to chase down, mm-hmm. Americans will always do it, skin their knee, bang into the wall, get a concussion, whatever. That's what they do. But Europeans don't do that. They 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 can they're experts, obviously. So they can figure out immediately. I can't get that ball. So they just let it go. And Americans are screaming in the audience like, you know, what the hell? That? So they, they can't imagine that it's just a risk reward or it's a uh, uh, instant analysis of why waste energy on a ball I can't get. Whereas that's not what Americans do. I mean, maybe Americans are stupid, but that's not how they do it. So um, the fixing chance were were constant. So uh, I think that's a big part of it that. Like it, it sort of looks weird because, yeah, it seems like they can do anything. And then why didn't they go after that ball? Well, I think it's because they couldn't get it and they were right. But but I understand how Americans can't stand that. All right. So you you are coming out in defense of Big High Lie. Somewhat. Yeah. OK. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. This being the 200th episode of Gamble On, we wanted to do something special with the interview segment. For episode 100, we had one superstar guest on in Phil Helmuth. For episode 200, well, we've settled for quantity over quality. We are welcoming two guests at once, and not just any two guests, but the two guests who lead the pack in number of appearances on our podcast. Adam Small is, according to his Twitter bio, the GM of some things at Better Collective, and he is making his sixth appearance on Gamble On. And our returning champion, Dan Bach, is the SVP of operations for Roto-Grinders and Scores and Odds, and he's making his seventh appearance on Gamble On. Adam and Dan, good to see you both in person, and thanks for joining us once again. I said that I would do this only if this uh, appearance counted for me, but not for Dan and the ranking <laughs> of who's been on the show the most, so I'm still holding to that. Yeah, no, thanks for having us, and uh, I, don't, I don't know how I feel with the Helmuth being uh, 100 and us 200. I don't, I don't know how I should feel about that, but uh, thanks for having us anyway. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for coming, and of course, yeah, it's good that we're not changing the distance between you in the fight for number one, and, and I do think the two of you together at least add up to one Phil Helmuth. So. <laughs> um, so we're here at the SBC Summit. It's a great place to check in on the health of the industry, so just a very broad question for each of you to start. How are you feeling about the health of the legal sports betting business four years post-PASPA? Are, are we in a good place relative to your expectations a few years ago? Uh, Dan, you are the all-time leader in Gamble on Appearances, so I'll let you answer first. Yeah, I think uh, I think the industry in general has to be pretty happy with how things are in terms of the expansion and the number of states that are open for business and coming open for business. I think there's uh, I think if you told anybody four years ago that New York would have sports betting, they probably would have said, yeah, right. So that was a huge win. And, uh, you know, obviously there's still a few larger states that have to happen. But overall, you know, I think that really set the tone for saying, hey, you know, we saw it in DFS once New York legalized uh, DFS, all the other states followed. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be quite as fast with sports betting, but it's super encouraging and, and that's just huge news and I think really, you know, sets the tone for the last four years and probably making it a success. I totally agree with Dan about New York. I definitely was like, you know, the year twenty never was when New York was gonna happen. It just right. it seemed it always seemed more feasible than like California, for example, which, you know, will still happen at some point, but could be longer. But uh, I definitely felt that by 2022, we would not have any of the so-called big four states, Florida, New York, Texas, California, and we have one of them now, and sort of for a second had one of the other ones, but <laughs> not really. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think, um, I think things are going really well in a lot of ways, and, and it's, a, it's a multifaceted story, but I think it's gone really well in terms of the interest and acceptance sort of culturally and in the media and just in people around the country. It seems like the the general response I get when I mention that I'm in this space from people um, and we start talking about legalization and all that is like, yeah, why didn't they do this sooner? Or, you know, I'm glad they're doing this now. Obviously, I probably interact with a, um, a cross-section that's kind of more geared, like more on kind of the white-collar side of the kind of labor spectrum and everything like that. So I, I don't have like a, a full 
set of everybody and how they feel about it. I probably don't talk to as many like really religious people and, and they might have a different view. I'm not entirely sure, but it just seems like generally there hasn't been a lot of backlash to the growth of this industry. And I really hope just as a cautionary note that we don't do go too crazy on letting these guys promote the crap out of themselves without any guardrails because we've seen a lot of bad stuff happen in Europe. I think a lot of people over here in the States aren't even fully familiar with how much bad stuff has happened over there when, um, you know, operators aren't sort of covering up for the social costs of gambling and, and helping out uh, society to, to deal with, you know, the problems that inevitably emerge or, and to prevent them as much as possible. So I hope that I hope that there is a continued push for that. There are definitely some positive signs, but a lot of concerns as well. And I was speaking to someone who's real knowledgeable about this last night who who felt that the U.S. is headed down the path of Europe. So I, I do worry about that on some level. But I think so far, in terms of industry expansion, in terms of state legislatures taking things forward, in terms of smooth rollouts by states, and uh, you know, a pretty frothy business environment in terms of just all the people coming in, I think it's pretty positive but so far. One thing that I wanna talk about too is I think in one theme I heard from just a couple of the sports betting uh, panels that I, I watched today was that consolidation feels like, all the players feel like there's gonna be even greater consolidation than we have right now. Right. And it's not that spread out in the grand scheme of things, really. I mean, if you look at who's really dominating the space, it's it's really like three, maybe four brands. And, you know, if two of those end up consolidating, I mean, I think that actually might be a benefit to not seeing what happened out there in the UK. Because I don't know that these, that these brands are going to have to be as aggressive on the marketing side of things if they have such a stranglehold in terms of market share. Yes, you're always going to have some startups, but I don't know that it's going to be quite as competitive if we get that consolidation. So, you know, that's probably still uh, a, a year or two away until we see some of that. Um, but, you know, that kind of is my hope that we don't fall into that rut that Adam just said, because it's, it's very possible. That's a really good point about, um, like, the potentially less aggressive marketing once I, I fully agree that the uh, industry is going to consolidate more and that the uh, the spending and the you know five thousand dollar sign up uh, free bets I'm doing air quotes here uh, are, are probably going away or risk-free bets or whatever but uh, I still worry about it just because um, there's definitely going to be a wave of online casino legislation that's coming at some point um, you heard Jason Robbins out there talking about how this needs to happen. It's going to be especially in focus in the coming months and years, potentially, because with uh, the stock market turning downward and capital markets drying up a bit, these guys are going to have a push, a lot of pressure internally to uh, move towards profitability in some of these markets. I think some of them maybe were planning to be profitable in a couple of years and might need to be profitable this year or next year. And online casino is a much faster way to get that done for a lot of them. So I think you are going to see a uh, a bigger lobbying push to make that happen. And online casino is in some ways a pretty scary product if those guard rules aren't there. So uh, guardrails, sorry. And, and uh, you know, I think all of us here in this room certainly strongly support online casino legislation. Um, I like to play it. Uh, I think a lot of people enjoy playing it and do so responsibly, but if you know if you just let it go off the rails, it can be pretty scary. Right? To, to follow up on one thing that you both mentioned as the biggest sort of surprise positive of, of New York passing legislation and, and, and joining the party sooner than anyone thought they would have, do either of you have misgivings about the way that they did it with the 51% tax rate and whether they're setting a bad precedent that, that New York can kind of sustain, maybe, but a lot of other states following that lead could lead to, to trouble? Well, it, it can't be this way everywhere, because the reason people are willing to do it in New York is one or both of the following. Either they think it will go down eventually, or they think that other states won't do the same, and they just need their brand to be big so much right. that they've got to be in New York. If every state were like Pennsylvania and New York and charging these rates, like none of these books would be competing in this market at all. And so um, I, I do have some hope that, that uh, if they allow more licensees into New York, I think the tax rate can 
go go down once there are a certain number of licensees. I don't remember the exact specifics of that, but it'll go down to something somewhat more reasonable, though still pretty egregious, more kind of in the Pennsylvania range, like the mid 30%. But um, I, I think that it was something I was thinking to bring up and kind of forgot to say in that previous round that I think one of the more concerning things about the, the health of the industry is that bigger states are looking, and I think it was even before New York did what they did, but especially with New York having done this and, and wondering why they should do what like Michigan and New Jersey did and create a business friendly environment. Why not just figure out the way to, to get the absolute maximum amount of state revenue and make that our only priority? And I think that would be a real negative for certainly all of us that make a living in this space, but also for people who participate in the products that, you know, just like taxation rates at that level make it a real challenge to offer products that people are actually going to like. And so uh, I, I do have some concerns that, you know, like if New York did this, like, what, what in God's name is California going to do? Right. Well, I mean, but it's encouraging because even, you know, the amendment, which is on the ballot in California, is very reasonable. You know, I think it's 10%. And, you know, most of these other things that are pop popping up post-New York have not followed that model. So, um, and there's a lot of discussion that, you know, that there are, you know, lawmakers realize like, hey, this isn't, really great for the for the businesses trying to operate so you know whether it's a lowering that rate in New York or even just throwing the iCasino bone out there like yeah great we'll pay we'll pay 50% on sports betting if we can get some iCasino in in this state I think there's definitely some negotiations there but uh, I was really worried about it when Pennsylvania did it at the first go around and then we didn't see anything and then New York but I think we're pretty good moving forward because I, I uh, you know, the, these clearly we're seeing that these sports books are having a lot of input uh, with these lawmakers in terms of uh, you know the the taxation that they're coming up in these bills. All right, so you guys mentioned California. So look, we have California, Florida, and Texas as the three white whales still out there without legal sports betting. With them are 92 million people living in those three largest U.S. states. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts from both of you on, you know, for listeners in those states in particular, I'm guessing what year each allows its first legal sports bets. Uh, I'll start. Um, I think Texas is like probably like 2028, 20, if we're lucky. Um, Florida is interesting. And by the way, like... It's already happening, right? It's uh, brick and mortar, right? Brick and mortar, very... Uh, no, I don't actually think it is. Okay. I think they, when they put the whole compact on hold that that also prevented the brick and mortar from from taking place um the funny thing about that is like calvin ridley this great football player he he think how much money he lost by just betting on sports in florida for those like 30 days that you could actually do it man tough tough beat for that guy uh but i don't i don't think florida's gonna happen for a while because i think it's gonna be tied up in the in the courts for at least two years so that would put us 2025, 20, 26, and California. It's a true coin flip, I think, on this uh, on this ballot initiative making it. It's it's hard enough to to reach that threshold, but when you have a, another amendment that's you know competing with it, when you have the Democratic Party in the state come out and say we don't support this, uh, I think it's an uphill battle. Obviously, we all hope it happens, but I think uh, I, I think even if it does. Oh, man, I, I I'm gonna say it probably doesn't get done. If I, I hate to be the pessimist here, but I, I don't I don't think it's gonna pass. Any no, I mean this this iteration. Okay. But then then you know when you consider maybe what is it probably other two, I think it's another two years before they can do it again. So if it doesn't go this year, you're probably looking at three more years after this. Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, back on the Calvin Ridley thing for a second. I just I have to comment on it because he came out on Twitter. He said, I, I bet like a total of $3,000. I don't have a gambling problem. And uh, my response to that was, you lost like $11 million. You lost your entire year's salary because you were gambling. And you don't think you have a gambling problem? Like that's the definition of a gambling problem. It's not about how much you gambled. It's about like how little regard you had for your own situation and what you were doing to it by gambling, right? So um, it's, it's a good reminder to people that, uh, you know, there's more to be thinking about. Like, what are you risking when you're out there gambling and, and he risks an entire year's worth of pay and and probably I don't know that I'm not entirely sure he's ever going to be playing on an NFL field again hopefully he is but 
it's a tough thing to come back from. Uh, anyway, uh, as far as handicapping those three states, it's really interesting. I'm going to say Florida figures it out and gets it done at some point. Uh, and and I, I don't know if it's going to be just that Hard Rock ends up getting their monopoly or what it is, but I'm guessing that this works its way through the courts and by 2024 we'll have legal online gambling, legal gambling in Florida, online or otherwise. I know there's this whole separate issue of like, if you're gambling on your mobile phone, are you on the reservation or, or whatever it is. So I'm going to say just legal sports betting. We'll, we'll go with that. Uh, and I think by 2024 it'll happen in Florida. Uh, but it'll probably be like a really crappy, uh, you know, competitive environment with just one product, not a lot of great promotions and um, hopefully Hard Rock's product is at least up to speed by then, and they've got a pretty strong team there it, now. It so. wasn't that bad. As somebody yeah. who played on it before, yeah, I thought from starting from nothing, and yeah. that was their first ever app, they, it was a pretty admirable job. So, yeah. so it's nothing like the, the Gambit DC situation no. where it's one app and <laughs> no. everyone hates it. Or like every single app in Vegas, like, uh, you know, like even like BetMGM and like, you know, all those apps are like decent everywhere else that you get on them in Vegas. It's just like terrible because they, they have to like comply with other regulations there. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, Hard Rock's got a really solid team. I mean, former, uh, you know, poker stars, uh, exec Rafi Ashkenazi is, is running it and Matt Primo and all these guys and I'm confident they'll figure that aspect out but it's still like when you only have one operator is that the best situation for people definitely not uh, anyway uh, Texas I'm with Dan I think it's a long way away it's it's not Utah like Utah I would genuinely believe just won't happen in my lifetime but like I think Texas will happen but it's going to be when there's just kind of this general, broad, national consensus that this activity is fine. And, and the reason is, every one of these states has different circumstances that made it difficult to get it passed. In New York, it was constitutional issues. Like uh, There was like a requirement, I believe, for a constitutional amendment for expanding gambling, and they kind of had to work around that. And it's still kind of iffy what they did, but... You know, it's happening and kind of seems to be settled that it's happening now. In Texas, it's more like a traditional, almost kind of left-right thing. Like, you got a big social conservative swath of the state that just doesn't want gambling there. And it's going to be hard to overcome that. I think that's the main issue there. And I think it's just not something that people are going to push for. It's also a state that has, like, a pretty... I think compared to others, a pretty decent economic situation in terms of, like, their budget and surplus and all that and they don't they don't have like a need to get this cash in the door the way like a Pennsylvania did for example or Illinois so um, I'm with Dan I think it's gonna be several years of 2028 it's as good a guess as any might be sooner it might be that like by 2026 there are like 35 40 states and Texas just like whatever we can do this now but there's certainly no urgency there and then California it's a really messy state and it's been messy for a long time there was a shocking moment about three or four years ago. I think it was uh, I think it was 2018, if I remember, where like all of a sudden everything seemed to come together and online poker was actually going to happen after they had gotten really close several years in a row. And then at the last minute, there was some kind of weird scandal where uh, someone published an op-ed in some paper and it was like alleging bad behavior by a certain member of the state legislature and all of a sudden the whole thing just went away. It was crazy. I mean, there, there are forces working behind the scenes that are always just trying to kill everything that they do in that state when it comes to online gambling, gambling expansion. So many interested parties that are willing to tank the entire industry just to avoid anyone else getting the spoils. So until that situation gets cleaned up and changes at all, I'm kind of in the in the camp that it's going to be very difficult. Um, I know there's some optimism around some of these ballot initiatives, and I know that generally if you ask people, do you want sports betting to be legal in California, they say yes, whether it's you know people on the ground or like the industry people or whatever. But I'm thinking it's going to be at the earliest 2026 when they figure it out. That's the year I'm going to put down. Before Texas, though. Okay, got yeah. it. All right, take, take off your industry executive hats and put on your sports gambler hats. I'm curious to know your favorite experience as a sports better in these last few years, or as a DFS player, that counts too. Uh, Adam, you first this time. Do you have a favorite bet or sweat these last four years? 
I've had a few good ones. Unfortunately, this last one didn't go my way. I bet on Nick Kyrgios pre-Wimbledon to win. It was more of just a dart. I was like, I like watching him play. He's fun. Um, I, I, physically, he's fully capable of winning a major. Mentally, I'm not ever sure he's capable of winning a single match. But somehow he got to the final. A lot of it was just the sheer luck of Nadal having to default in the semifinal. But just that he got to the semifinal in, in itself was incredible. Unfortunately, that 33-1, to 1, I bet, pre-tournament did not pay. Um, but I have done a few. I've gotten more into the last few years. I don't bet really regularly, but I bet on things I have conviction about, and I, and I throw hard at them when I do. And I think one of my favorite ones, I'm big into tennis, as like anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, and uh, last year's US Open uh, semifinal, Djokovic was playing against uh, Zverev, and Zverev's kind of this player on the rise, and he's much younger than Djokovic. He's, I think at the time, was number two or three in the world, and uh, and definitely kind of had this reputation of like guy who's gonna win a major soon. And he won the first set against Djokovic and looked pretty dominant in, in that set. And uh, I noticed that there were plus lines on all the sports books and I happened to be in Tennessee at the moment. And I just looked in all my accounts and just bet every dollar I had in any of them on this. I'm not advising anyone else do this and these were not dollar, <laughs> this was not every dollar I own, it was just every dollar in my sports betting accounts. But. Um, I enjoyed those next couple hours where Djokovic lost like six more points the entire match, and and uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's just fun. It's very rare that you can do anything that like the books would like regret that they gave you the opportunity to do, and I feel like every now and then in tennis I find those opportunities to bet stuff that like I feel like the books shouldn't have put out there. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a good feeling to uh, do that and just then just kind of sit back and watch it play out. So that one felt good. Um, I, another one that I had like that that I loved was, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago when Cleveland played Pittsburgh in the playoffs, the NFL playoffs. And right. Cleveland went up like 28-0 or something in that game, whatever it was. They blew them out. Pittsburgh was a huge favorite. And um, the in-game line went up to like 23 points or something like that. And I just did the same thing, just like jammed hard on Pittsburgh at like plus 23 and they ended up losing the game by I think 12 points but it was just like one of those moments where I was like how is this really going to play out and totally could have been wrong could, could have just been 59 to 0 at the end of the game but you know worked out so those are my favorites and just following up on the on the one you just had on Wimbledon how close did you come to hedging once once your guy got to the finals I didn't I didn't have the kind of money on it where I, that was ever a consideration okay so if I bet like uh, those bets that uh, that our our old partner Cal Spears has been putting up on Twitter where he bets a thousand dollars on some long shot to win a, a golf tournament then yes I probably would have hedged but right. Uh, no, not not for a fifty dollar bet. <laughs> okay, how about you, Dan? Um, yeah, so last year I did a future bet on Cincinnati to win the national championship, which was interesting because it was a super long shot, like hundred fifty to one, and they made it to the final four. You know, surprisingly, they were undefeated. So I, I pretty much knew they were going to get blown out by Alabama in in that game anyway. But it was still a fun kind of sweat all season long to see if they would make it. So that one that one was great. And then just kind of piggyback a little bit on what, what Adam's talking about. Live betting for me, I mean, I just recently got into Tennessee. That is just so much fun. And there's so much, you know, uh, it's just an easy, casual way that you don't need to bet a lot. You don't need to do a lot of research. And honestly, you feel like you're already doing research because you've watched the first quarter of a game whether it's football basketball or the first two rounds of a golf tournament you feel like you've seen something right yeah. and uh and i and i love it and i think that that is just going to be such a booming industry for sports betting we've seen it overseas we're going to see more of it here in the u.s and and you know it, it it's that's the evolution that i'm kind of curious to see manifest is is how uh, the patterns and how we bet change over time because you know I don't think it's just going to be everybody betting sides totals and in money lines like that's that's not what it's going to be and uh, you know that's that's what I'm you know really enjoyed in my month that I've been in in Tennessee is just yeah. you know not having to sit back and do research and that's like you know I mean and admittedly like that's a drawback to like roto grinders in our business is that that is all driven by a lot of research mm -hmm. where now sports betting as more sports betting spreads into states i think a lot of users are going to 
feel like I can get just as good of a sweat in sports betting and not have to do the work of DFS. So we're already starting to see some of that change with the advent of prize picks, you know, doing really well, passing, you know, FanDuel in Michigan. So even the game of DFS is is slowly but surely, you know, evolving in its own right. I think all the most fun sweats are on individual player, like, performance, whether it's props or whatever else. I think fantasy is still the most fun thing to sweat, but like Dan said, it it is like a lot of work just to get in position where you're like sweating a Millie Maker win or whatever. But I, I imagine for the friends I have who have won the Millionaire Maker that like that last hour was like one of the most exciting and fun parts of their life. Certainly looking back on it after winning, yeah. uh, like like Matt Smith and you know yeah. people like that. Cal obviously has won it, and we know a few people that have. So um, I think fantasy or props is like like props is like where it's going to be in the future, where you just decide in game like. Hey, you know, Derrick Henry hasn't run enough today. Like, I think he's going to get another 100 yards, and I'm going to bet that at, like, 10 to 1 or whatever. And then watching him get there, hitting that, like, kind of longer shot prop that you have conviction about is going to be the best. Okay, last topic. Uh, Assuming sports betting is legal in nearly every state in five years or so, so what does it mean for the future of brick-and-mortar casinos or horse racing? Does it take a slice out of their revenue, or is it basically all new disposable income somehow that goes into sports betting? You know, I remember when New York got... Mobile sports betting, New Jersey was going to take a big hit. Didn't happen. When PASPA passed, uh, DFS was going to go downhill. Didn't happen. So at some point, I don't know, was it movie theaters, restaurants? I mean, don't from an economic standpoint, don't there have to be losers at some point where, you know, with another 100 million people being able to gamble legally on sporting events, doesn't something have to give? Now, I think like one of the ways that the casino industry, the entrenched casino industry, wrongly looked at online gambling and later sports betting um, for years was uh, they believed it was like something that kind of competed with their interests or competed with their ability to produce revenue that basically every dollar that an online sports book made was at least some number of cents out of their pocket if not a full dollar and uh, I think that now what people have kind of come to realize more is that it's more like entertainment dollars competing with each other that you're competing when you're running an online casino or sports book with Netflix and you're competing with you know, free-to-play games that people play online, you're competing with people's families and wanting to spend time with their kids. I mean, for a slightly more cynical tone on it, but you know, you really are, you're in that more like attention economy. I think everything online is more like that. When when you're talking about the way people use their mobile phones and and their computers and all that, it's all about how people are spending their attention when they're in their home or when they're on the road or when they're in front of the computer anyway. And so I think it is, it's additive to the industry as a whole. That's proven itself. Look at New Jersey. I mean, it's a great example of how online casino and later sports betting were clearly additive to the industry overall. And so uh, I don't think the casinos and brick and mortar have anything to worry about. I think it would probably be a good thing if some of like the lower end casinos that are out there, like maybe didn't exist at some point. But, but that being said, I don't think that's going to be an effect of this. I think it would just be the natural effect of like people wanting better facilities and better products and hopefully the best things for consumers winning out. Yeah, pretty much agree. I mean, outside of what I just spoke about with, I, I do think there will be a, a lag in some DFS play. That That's like the clear, I think, semi-loser in this. Um, for the most part, I think it's it's just... It's just enter. It's just entertainment. That, that's that's what it boils down to for ninety eight percent of the people who like who who sports bet. You know, maybe two percent are out there can do it, make a nice living off it. But most of these people are doing it just to entertain themselves for a little while, maybe a full season if they want to bet a a future bet. Um, but the one thing that you know Adam alluded to, which is is so clear and and it's nice that we can we can kind of put a bow on this is. When sports betting happens in different states, it's not affecting, you know, what we people going to Vegas and the handle that they that they have, and you know the performance of these other casinos. Uh, it's very it's two very different behaviors. So you know that's one thing that, you know, now that we've had data and years to look at, you know, it's clearly shown that there isn't that. Um, that corollary between those two things. So I think that's a great thing for the industry moving forward and trying to get more expansion saying, hey, you know, we do this. This isn't necessarily going to ruin some other businesses out there. Right. 
All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for making this 200th episode a little extra special, and thanks for uh, doing this together. I know you guys don't normally like to be in the same room together, so <laughs> appreciate you tolerating each other and uh, doing the interview here, and uh, we'll have to see uh, who, who gets to uh, their next appearance on the podcast first. But, well, uh, it's been an honor being on for the 200th episode, yeah. for real. That's awesome. No, so, I mean, uh, somebody who's done a podcast for a long time, 200 is a lot of them to do uh, especially when you're not doing them every day like that's a credit to you guys so you know congrats for going this long and and hopefully your fake bankrolls you know continue to it's, it's, to grow. it's dwindling I it's know dwindling. Yeah, well, you've made it last for four years so that's not too bad we still we might be hitting you up for more fake money at some point. <laughs> okay thanks I will again authorize the, uh, the fake transfer of fake money soon <laughs> thanks guys thanks guys for being on Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And we had a strong week. Uh, or should I say I had a strong week since uh, you, John, actually had zero bets graded this week. Uh, you made a futures bet on Paul Goldschmidt and you made a British Open bet on Jordan Spieth, uh, which has gained value since you made the wager. So that counts for now as a moral victory. Uh, but there's nothing to report in terms of completed bets for you. But we do have a few to report on my end. First, the Wimbledon bet on Onsjabur to reach the finals, which was almost graded as of last week's recording did turn out to be a winner. That's good for an $85 profit. I snapped my boxing cold streak, finally, uh, taking Brandon Figueroa to KO Carlos Castro at plus 180 odds, and he did it in the sixth round, winning us $90. And I split my Phillies Thursday game bets as Reese Hoskins did not homer, but the Phils did cover on the run line, so that worked out to a $13 profit. That means we won $188 for the week, So we're now down $2,936 overall. We have $945 on hold and futures bets. That leaves us with $6,119 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, Yeah, because so many decent players on the PGA Tour didn't qualify for the British Open. Uh, There's a a tour tournament called the Barracuda that goes on in parallel time. And one of the top up-and-coming Americans is Cameron Davis. So I'm just stealing money at 110 to win 100 on him to only go top 20 in that event with his late afternoon tea time on Thursday. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a boxing bet. And whereas I usually do some kind of plus money underdog, like a specific method of victory for one fighter at plus 250 or something, this time it's a straightforward 50-50 style, $110 to win $100 bet. Um, The over-under on rounds for Saturday's Ryan Garcia-Javier Fortuna fight is set at 7.5. Garcia has power, no doubt, 18 knockouts and 22 wins, but Fortuna is sturdier than any of the guys he's stopped. In 41 pro fights, Fortuna has only been KO'd once, and that was an 11th round stoppage. This one doesn't need to go the distance, although I think there's an excellent chance it will. It only has to get halfway through the eighth round for the over to hit. So let's do $110 to win 100 over seven and a half rounds. All right, and it's futures time again for me. Uh, Sportsbooks like DraftKings are begging me to take the Cincinnati Bengals to win a Super Bowl, 22 to 1. So give me 20 units on that action. The Dallas Cowboys of all teams are 18 to 1, for God's sakes. The Baltimore Ravens with disgruntled quarterback Travis Jackson are also 22 to 1, as are the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, really? Yes, the Bengals easily could have lost any of their playoff games last year. Guess what? They also came this close to winning the damn thing. Another <laughs> right. sucker bet, then here's your sucker. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if they have that classic uh, Super Bowl runner-up hangover yeah. or, or not. But uh, yeah, they're the kind of uh, unusual team that might just uh, defy all of that and, and keep getting better. Um, so for my second bet, I wanted to do a home run derby bet, but the field is only seven-eighths set as of this recording, so I can't bet on that. So I will go one step sillier than the home run derby. Let's place a bet on an NBA Summer League game featuring possibly zero actual NBA players. Uh, These are 40-minute games, not 48. So the point totals are much lower than actual NBA games. All of today's totals are set in the 170s, except Mavericks and Bucks, which is all the way up at 182.5. Yesterday, in seven Summer League games played, the average total was 164 points. Only one of the seven games yesterday went above 182 and a half. So I'm channeling my inner Darren Rovell. 
I'm taking the highest line and I'm rooting for no points, missed shots, turnovers, sloppy basketball. That's what I'm rooting for. Let's just do a half size bet though. I don't want to go crazy betting on what's basically an exhibition game. So $55 to win 50 Mavs bucks under 182 and a half points. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guests, Dan Bach and Adam Small. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. So my real big gamble this week was on self-diagnosing whatever the heck I had coming on as around 2 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon at the SBC North America event. There's this voice, then an annoying dry cough, then not a dry cough. And so do I try and attend the company dinner Wednesday night with a dozen colleagues? It's true. I've never missed a work day in my life due to illness. And the only time I ever should have was about 20 years ago. I should have taken a few days off. This is rather unfamiliar territory, to say the least. Lots of risk-reward analysis, weighing of odds, just like for a ball game. And after much consideration, I first I tapped out of the dinner, then later that night I realized I should surrender on Thursday's festivities and just drive home. Not my style, even a little bit, but it turns out maybe I am human after all. And with that, until next time, gamble on. And no one to fold them to when it comes to your health.